you. How's it going, man? Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. It's been a, a week since we last chatted. Yes, our last episode was a week ago. And and today is our first uh, in a series of conversations with UK kombucha brewers. Um, and this is with Adrian, one of the co-founders of Real Kombucha today. And we're going to hear a bit about his background, his story, their brand and how they got started and some sort of advice for, for brewers who are starting out. And a bit about, you know, the science of fermentation, hopefully, um, because uh, he has sort of a scientific background. So, yeah, yeah excited about this one. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to geek out in this episode. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right, we've just got to each with us any second now, and then we can start. Adrian, hi. Hey, guys. Hey, Adrian. Good, good man. Thanks so much for joining us. Nice to meet you, officially. It's, I don't think we've ever actually met before. Yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've seen faces. I don't think I've seen a lot of people for the last year, so it's nice to, uh, <laughs> nice to start seeing people in person, but I know we can't quite do that, so we're over video for now. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, man. Adrian, well, as um, Adam mentioned before uh, in the leading, uh, Adrian is uh, co-founder of Real Kombucha. Big fans, Adam. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I discovered your product, like right when it first came out. And um, I think it's one of the best kombuchas on the market. And I think your focus on creating something that's as complex as alcohol is really amazing. It's not something I've seen before. Uh, I'm from the States originally, and kombucha is obviously very big there, but no one's actually done anything like that. I think that's actually very unique to your brand in the UK in particular. And a lot of brands have followed after you guys sort of started that. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to dive into that and also your background, the story of the brand and in your product range, but I'm um, big fan. Yeah, really big fan. Well, thank, thanks so much. Yeah. It's lovely to be here and um, hopefully I can tell you some stories. Yeah, yeah, cool. And, and just to echo what later on, obviously I'd love to hear more about why you picked the target audience you have picked for your drinks. Cause I think it's quite unique that you've gone for more of the, the Michelin starred you know, high-end restaurants, etc. So I'd love to hear more about that as well. Um, do you want to start, uh, Adrian, just by telling us about, you know, what, how you discovered kombucha? What got you into kombucha in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, well, <clears throat> there, um, I think uh, I won't talk for too long because uh, there's lots I can tell you. But I guess probably starting the beginning is probably a bit of, a bit of my background and, and the team behind Real. Um, I'm only a very small part, part of the success so far of the business. But I, my, my background before I even discovered kombucha, I'd come from a health background. So I was the guy that stayed at university far too long. Um, but I did my postgrad and then my PhD at University of Birmingham. And I specialized in nutrition. But particularly my thesis was about polyphenols. So plant-based compounds that have a number of uh, health benefits. Uh, and I particularly focused on tea catechins. So I studied tea. It's not a PhD in tea. That's very niche. That can be done. But um, <laughs> I, I studied kind of the metabolic effects. And um, I, I could tell you, you can read my thesis online if you like. No, I don't think anyone has. Uh, but <laughs> my, um, my, my passion really in, in doing that and then moving from that into lectureship uh, for a couple of years, but then moving into food and drink industry was how do you translate the science into something that can make, uh, help people make better decisions? So that's always been kind of my my north star. Uh, went through the food and drink industry from working at a dairy company through to doing work with PepsiCo on reducing sugar for Gatorade through to then working um, at uh, Suntory, um, uh, the soft drink side of the business. But 
mainly looking at uh, how do you reduce sugar? How do you remove caffeine and sugar and sweetness from drinks and create a, a healthier yet tasty product for people um, that actually has some meaning in their life, right? Uh, rather mm. than just sugar water. Uh, so I looked at all sorts of technologies and ingredients and things like that. And that's where I first came across kombucha. Um, Suntory is a Japanese company. Um, I've been to Tokyo a number of times where they've got their research center. And I should uh, be clear, I, I was in the R&D team, so research development, and I kind of headed up the innovation side. So it was a mixture of commercial, marketing, R&D, MPD. And yeah, came across kombucha. And to begin with, it was like, what is this thing? I'm sure you guys are the same. It was like, what is this? Um, and the depth and the culture and the history was fascinating. But for me, it was like, wow, there's this tea. And this tea is transformed in the process. I started brewing at home. Uh, I was a frustrated innovator within a large corporate company and nothing, I don't know how many people will be listening to this, but no, no innovation got done because it was always about what's the new flavor? Um, and another big thing at the same time was the premium adult soft drink category. Mm. And uh, the term at Suntory was premium adult soft drink. And I was like, adult soft drink didn't really tr run true. It's like, it's either premium and it's adult or it's a soft drink. Mm. And so it was like, and this is the time when Seedlip uh, had just come into market. And so I was watching that space. I spoke at a conference uh, an innovation conference on drinks. I talked about all sorts of things, kombucha, teas, co cold brew coffee, everything that's happening in the uh, in the world of drinks. And um, there was a bloke in the audience called David Begg, uh, who at the end spoke to me and was like, you know something about tea, you're talking about <laughs> kombucha, um, I'm brewing kombucha, I want to start a kombucha business, uh, let's talk. And I was like, this guy's a madman. Who is this <laughs> Anyway, I went for a coffee with him and the rest history. No, um, David's, David's passion and David's the founder of Real Kombucha. Um, he's the, uh, the, the older one of the founding team, um, but he started a number of different businesses. Um, uh, really, really smart, amazing guy. Uh, got on very well with him. Um, but he, uh, his passion was uh, when he discovered kombucha through a friend of his was he was at a dinner party and he was drinking very little alcohol. And he got served an oolong kombucha. It wasn't quite as refined as maybe how we do it now. But back then he was like, wow, this is, this is really complex. There's nutty characters. There's depth and flavor. What is this? Um, and kind of was like, I can imagine this being served in every pub around the country, if done right. And being a, uh, an entrepreneur himself, he got the bug and started brewing at home. And then when I met him, he had scaled to the airing cupboard uh, at his home, which his wife wasn't too happy about. Um, meanwhile, I was in my airing cupboard, which my wife wasn't too happy about. Uh, and we took over his garage. He has a garage, um, which we made into a nano brewery, essentially. Um, started in five liter, five liter glass jars and scaled to 10, 20, 200. And that's where we started the business out of the garage. We got um, PASAP and food hygiene certification on it. We built our own bottling line in there hand bottling line, not um, an automated bottling line. That would be crazy. Um, the, the vision really at the beginning, um, you know, from, from David's side, and I was so, so aligned to it, was uh, how do you create something that is as good as a wine that's non-alcoholic? David was a big wine drinker, doesn't drink anymore. 
Uh, I'm still a drinker. I love wine. And I think I've strayed beyond just the original question, which was, <laughs> how did I get introduced to kombucha? But this is great. Yeah, our, 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 thing, our, our thing at the very beginning was our belief and the way we saw the tea leaf was that uh, you can actually ferment tea like wine. And our, our real focus was that there's so much depth and versatility in teas from around the world. Um, and it was partly by mistake, David fermented a silver needle tea mm. and uh, got really amazing expressions. And, you know, we had flavours to look at on the side. We're like, you know, to, um, got to the point where like, we, for us personally, we don't need to do that. And so we went down a very deep, tunnel of R&D to understand like okay how do you ferment tea like wine what teas do you use and as you guys know there's no um, I mean Adam you've been fermenting tea far longer than we have um, but you know it's there's no handbook on how to brew it yeah. it wasn't like oh beer I'm, I'm doing a disservice to beer but you know take something the yeast that you want you know the style and there's some somehow methodology for it and the equipment for it it just doesn't exist yeah. So for us, it wasn't just producing acidity and it wasn't just about producing something non-alcoholic. It was how do you get the balance between structure, tannin, sweetness, acidity, and then non-alcoholic. And it's really hard to do. And we, we've taken our time to, to build our R&D to where we are. So, yeah, it started in the garage and it's moved from there. But we've, we've fermented now 200 teas from around the world to really understand the character and the versatility of it. We've launched three into market, one that we, we removed um, due to uh, not fitting in with our portfolio. And we have two in market in a number of formats. So that's probably the introduction into then uh, a little bit of where we are, but lots of stories along the way. Just to go, go back and just to touch on a few, few details. You mentioned you met uh, David at the, the meeting. He wanted to, you know, chat to you about brewing commercially etc did you have any inkling at that point that you wanted to go down a commercial route with kombucha what was it made you decide i want to do this commercially as well i think um several reasons one is there's a massive there was a, at that time and still today there is a massive need to help people uh, not using the word consumer because we're all people yeah. help people make better decisions and mm. Actually, um, the vision for, for us is, yeah, we, we want to change the way people drink. We, mm -hmm. we, you know, we see that, and I'm sure you guys have that vision as well. It's, it's, there is a lot of rubbish on the market. Mm. Even if it's marketed in a way that seems healthy, you look beyond or you do your research and it isn't. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you create, uh, at the time, it was how do you create authenticity in a liquid that's authentic in what it's actually what it actually is as well. And you know, at the end of the day, we should all drink water. You know, uh, that that's the <laughs> the survival uh, for us as humans. But actually, when you start looking at kombucha fermented tea, actually there is some uh, health attributes. There is obviously something that you have low sugar, low calorie. It's natural and it can taste good. So it's kind of that kind of holy trinity in the drinks world, which is those three things. It's like and you're seeing it say innovation, health and sustainability. They're the kind of three big pillars of, of commercial drinks businesses. So when we first started, it was we believe we can actually uh, change something. 
Yeah. Mm. Uh, if it was, I think if some people go into commercial drinks going, we're going to shift volume, we're going to shift bottles. Yeah. For us, it was, that's a byproduct. It's like that. It's actually, if we achieve our vision, the volume will come, but it's actually bringing about change. And our change was, we ferment tea like wine. And so our position is, you know, premium kombucha served as a sparkling wine. Yeah. Uh, for not drinkers uh, mm. and, and the vision's still there the north star's still there and then the products to, to bring us through so yeah it started small and it's being patient to grow the volume it doesn't come overnight unless your market your, your strategy is we're going to flood the market but the problem is with kombucha you can't scale too quickly if you do yeah. it if you do it when i say properly if you if you do it in a more traditional you build your cultures you ferment the tea you you treat it with care and then you bottle it but also as you know shelf stability and other things there's lots of r&d it's not just about producing liquids in the bottle it's then how it gets to customers the stability of that once it's in the customer the stability of that how long they have it for so a bit of a headache not an easy one to get into is it no no it's, and- it's so much more difficult than than beer because with with jar we you know i started jar with the guys from crate brewery so they had a beer brewing background and I think we were all a bit like, we can figure this out. It's going to be the same right. as beer. It was way more difficult than beer. And man, like this, we could talk for hours. I'm sure all three of us about all the, the shit storms that we found ourselves in with overproduction of yeast. Maybe the alcohol was too high off batches, whatever, you know, like so many different things. Cause kombucha is this living, breathing, you know, the SCOBY is an organism that you need to nurture. It's not just as easy as throwing a bunch of ingredients together. That North Star of yours, helping people make better decisions. That's so, that's so clear and concise. I wish I'd, I'd, I'd been able to articulate that myself, but thank you for that because that is very much what kombucha does for people. Some people completely transforms their life. Some people get them off alcohol. Some people, it just allows them to incorporate healthier decisions into their daily life. And, uh, And I think it's incredibly important and in a way noble of what you guys are doing, helping people transition from relying only on alcohol to realizing there is to creating and and offering something that is complex, that is delicious, that makes you feel like you're still a part of the party or the social experience without feeling like you're on the edges of it. You know, you don't have a pint of Coca-Cola in front of you. You have a bottle of something that you want to talk about and that tastes good that you can sip on that has that complexity and that story behind it, the, the amount of care and attention with your background, with your testing of 200 different types of tea, with your focus on making kombucha in a way that you'd make wine, I think is, is amazing. And that, that's such a cool story, man. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's attention to detail is the crucial bit. I mean, you know, David's background is um, building different businesses, but he's an engineer. So his already was thinking, right, we're at five or 10 or 20 or 200. How do we go from 200 to 2000? What mm. equipment do we need? And between us and there's also third co-founders john john wilkes who's not drunk now i think for 16 years uh, mm. so really the, the the passion for him is i've actually sick and tired of shit drinks <laughs> you know, uh, i want something that, like you said adam something that i feel like i'm part of the party so it, you know in in the first instance it was a lot of r&d and that chance to detail the teas the kits the, the all the variables really understanding them 
Um, and look, we're still we're still learning. We, we, we haven't cracked it, but at least we have the foundation knowledge of we know how to ferment the tea like a wine. We know the consistency and flavor. We know shelf life. We know stability. And, you know, we're just pushing the boundaries uh, beyond uh, what the what we're doing right now in longer term. But the, the interesting thing is just, um, yeah, that, that attention to detail and, and, yeah. and growing it. Um, our, our focus, though, was that fine dining. If you're going for us, if we're going to be the best non-alcoholic sparkling and challenge wine, challenge champagne, we have to taste as good, if not better. So, and that positioning is crucial. So to this day, we've never gone to sell to any coffee shops. Mm -hmm. That's not been, we've just not done that. And, um, you know, the first instance was us going to great restaurants. One of our first customers uh, was the Pig Hotel Group. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Again, that link between nature flavor uh food pairing and experience um and then into you know uh michelin star restaurants you know the fat duck um long clume and we just went wow and so we basically produced in the garage we bottled ourselves we packed it up we designed our labels ourselves uh, we had a graphic designer called paul who helped us in the, in the early days and, uh you know we, we created a kind of uh, a roadmap of where we were going to go and we went around the country well i went around the country in a van with 60 cases and <laughs> came back with three and <laughs> um we went to see the michelin star restaurants and the interesting thing is there's a massive there was a massive space then of the sommelier is going, yeah, people don't drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very traditional sommeliers were like, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I'm je- I didn't like that. <laughs> Sorry, that's really bad. There are the nationalities that for sommeliers. But they were like, no, it, it, people who drink, drink wine. Uh, and if they're not drinking, they can have water. We're like, but no, there's a, a whole experience for them. And so that's where we focus that premium Michelin-style restaurant to pair with food in a wine glass, uh, for us, it's not a tumbler with ice. Um, just just focus on that, and then we've just we've scaled and, and grown it since then. How many, how many years ago was this, Adrian? So we we started the, the business officially. Well, we went in market. We started late twenty seventeen. Um, so it was the year it was the year I was getting married. So we actually moved from the garage to I shouldn't say get then the nano brewery <laughs> to a. Um, where we are now, uh, where we've been for three years. And actually, it was quite key for my wedding. So I managed to get into my wedding suit because we got the keys to it on July 1st, or 30th of June, I think it was. And my wedding's 12th of August. And for about a month and a bit, uh, the builders couldn't, uh, fell through. And so between me and David and Olek, who's our uh, one of our brewers, we built the brewery. When I say built, we had to gut wow. it with a put up the walls, we had to watertight it, we had to put the drainage channels in. I think, I think I lost about four kilos because it was like the heat <laughs> of the summer, heat of the summer, long days, we had a deadline to hit. And um, all my friends were like, hey, you've really worked out for the wedding. I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you accomplished loads. That's amazing. It's funny because we, we brewed in a garage for about four years as well. Mixed yeah. garage in Hackney Wick, a little bit. Wick, yeah bigger maybe but yeah i think the origin stories where we all first start started brewing are are really interesting andrew are you in a in a i i don't i've never been there to visit but is it sort of a garage environment or is that like a a back house that you have it's an old barn it's about 150 years old that is 
I think was at one stage, it's at the front of our house and was used as a, a garage. And I built this, the fermentation room, I built as um, my office to work so I could work from home in here. And then, uh, well, much like yourself, Adrian, I, you know, and, and Adam, I fell in love with um, kombucha and uh, decided that I wanted to, to go commercial with it. And I converted it into the fermentation room. And, and since then, I've sort of taken over other parts of the, the barn. So our, on the other side there, we've got our, our canning room and our keg fridge, etc. So my wife isn't very happy with me at the moment. We're just, you know, <laughs> slowly spreading. And, and I think this week, in fact, we're spreading to a friend's garage to start storing stock, etc. So and, and empty cans <laughs> and so on. So I'm, try, I'm trying to find commercial space at the moment, but there's not a lot um, in rural bucks at the moment. So yeah, we're, already, not far, we're not far from each other, are we? So yeah, we're almost neighbours. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should definitely come down. Um, yeah. yeah, no, finding finding space. It's cheaper than it is in London. I don't know if you found that, Adam. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of um, space and rent rent costs, but uh, yeah, finding finding the space is, is quite difficult. Yeah. So I don't want I don't want to be. Uh, I, if I wanted to travel for an hour or something, I could probably find somewhere. But I kind of kind of defeats the purpose of. With a sort of, I guess, kind of ethos of having a kombucha business or even just having your own business that you don't want to be going for the whole feeling of commuting, going to a nine to five type job sort of thing. You know, you want to have, mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't find it, it's not very creative when you're sit, stuck in a car for an hour each way or whatever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being fussy and just saying this time I want to find somewhere because it's relatively close by. I think also if if you're you know you're brewing yourself and for us and still still stay close to it you have to stay close to your kombucha because it's not 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 like hugging it but you know like um, <laughs> you may be tweaking recipe you may be tweaking aeration you may be you know there's so many variables and just being close to it means that you just suddenly pop in have a little take you oh actually something's changed what's changed and it's it's that kind of constant test and learn and test and learn that I think is really crucial. And if you hand it over to someone else, they won't be as detailed and on it as as like you are, because Absolutely. you're like, this is this is my baby. This is yeah. what I'm doing, isn't it? But with regards, Adrian, to your kombucha, something that I've always loved about it is that it has a really balanced acidity without being overly vinegary. And that's something that a lot of brewers face um, is you know, for us, at least in the early days, our kombucha was so vinegary that it put most people off because we, we we didn't understand how to optimize gluconic acid versus acetic acid. Can you offer any advice to any brewers out there about how to optimize gluconic acid? From what we found, at least uh, oxygenating is is part of it. But from a scientific background, you must know a little bit more. Yeah, I, I guess um, for us, it was, as I say, to, to be a sparkling wine, we've got to have balance in mouthfeel and when we looked at uh, wine there's different acids whether it's malic lactic gluconic acetic citric um there's all sorts of acids and i think the way we we look at the worlds of of our cultures is that the yeast and bacteria can both produce acids mm-hmm. so it's not just acetic acids and gluconic acid but for us, we have other acids in our in our drink that aren't produced mm. by the bacteria. Some mm. of them are produced by yeast. Mm. So um, you can, in terms of changing it, it's to do with um, one qualitatively assessing your your cultures. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Dave and I initially were doing that, and now we have a head brewer, uh, Guillermo, uh, who's a microbiologist. So, um, yeah, we're able to qualitatively assess that um, mm-hmm. and quantify it. Um, but it is, it's, I think it's that um, without having a microscope, say, uh, mm-hmm. and that sort of R&D investment, I guess it's uh, changing uh, oxygen levels. That's one thing. It's changing mm-hmm. the sugar. And it's changing um, base nitrogen carbon base, which is then the tea. Mm-hmm. So it's then, you know, it's making sure that actually maybe it's not having as much bacteria that are going to be producing so much acid. Mm-hmm. But then but then there's other things in terms of conditioning and rounding flavour, you know, post-fermentation. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you leave it before you bottle it or you leave it before you, if you do carbonate or you secondary ferment or... Um, because that can soften. It's exactly what happens in in beer and wine, where they will leave before they bottle to soften things out. So yeah, um, there's a number of ways. But I mean, if I if I told you our secrets, yeah, um, not asking any um, secrets. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <laughs> <you>. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But okay. I think I think where we are now is like it's that investment in R and D. It's it's such a big it's such a big thing. I mean, Adam, it's amazing that you guys have got now a brewing team and brewing science team. Um, and that that's what you know with Guillermo and, and his team now that's you know what what we what we've built as well not probably to the the the, the heritage <laughs> 150 year heritage but you know I think that's where if you're going to push the boundaries of drinks you've, you've got to you've got to understand it and know where you're taking it to the next level Adrian just um you talking about microscopes and so forth now what equipment did you think um, is essential or that you didn't have and you wish you did have. So not from a expensive perspective, but from a, you know, a person starting out wanting to do this, what sort of equipment that you'd recommend they had? Yeah. You know what? I think what looking back and, and David's been very good at, I think instilling this in, in the business is, is actually sometimes less is more at the beginning. I think, you know, you think our oh, commercial got to have shiny tanks. I've got to have this. It's got to, Actually, you can get by with very little. That said, um, I mean, the, the things that were really important to us at the beginning was a room that was temperature controlled and as mm-hmm. tightly as possible. A space that was compliant with food hygiene, but also it's not just about being compliant, but you, you're, you know that you can sleep safely at night because you know things are safe and they're um, you know, put away, animal proofed, everything like that. The, the containers that you're, you're uh, obviously fermenting in, that they are tight if you're putting in actual valves or anything that they're secured in. So some of those like little attentions to detail that can actually really help. And then, you know, um, aeration pumps, uh, a, a decent pH meter uh, helped thinking through. Uh, the thing that helped us a lot was actually the ability to actually get it into a bottle. So we just had a counter-pressured bottling line which again, the way David's brain works, he, he saw someone else's online and then was like, I'll, I'll build that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I left, I left his on, you know, when we're in the garage, I left his on a Friday night or something and then came back on Sunday and he's like, I built a bottling line yesterday. And it's just like, <laughs> okay. Um, so it's, I think it's about being really being resourceful. But I think in the early days and even you know to scaling up it's the, it's the principles those like really early principles that are so important because you know how to do it at the basic level so then when you do have either funds 
or you generate enough revenue that you can put it back into the business, you go, actually, if I want to step it up from my, I don't know, my treated uh, plastic uh, containers, I'm going to go stainless steel. Mm. And as soon as you do stainless steel, you're like, wow, like the temperature control on them are amazing. And you just, you, you upgrade yourself. So I think those are some of the, the, the basics at the beginning, but then again, it's just um, upgrading it as, as you go. Yeah. But we've got a few minutes left. So a few time for a few more questions. Sorry, were you going to say Sam? No. Yeah. I, I think that um, it sounds like the sort of the, the perfect combination of talent and experience in your team. And I think that's really in a lot of senses, what it takes um, is, is bringing together at some point, another person or a couple people to offer perspectives um, that maybe you can't necessarily see. And because not all of us uh, have that sort of scientific uh, microbiological background. Um, I certainly don't. Like I, I knew how to make kombucha, but I had no clue how to measure it. Um, I can sell it, I can market it, but I, I don't have that background. So for us, when we brought on board um, a guy named Matt Hoyle, who is now, um, he's actually head of production at the London Fermentary. He built us an acetator. He has an engineering background. So like David built this bottling line, our brewer Matt built us this acetator, which saved us tens of thousands and completely changed the way that we fermented, you know, for anyone out there that's looking to start, look into, you know, uh, if you're not maybe scientifically minded, bringing someone on board who is, you know, someone who understands microbiology. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, I mean, that's just, that's just sort of, uh, I think a I great point with you that. guys. I completely agree with that. And, you know, as you know, we're now a team, a team of 12 and we're, we're growing this year. We've got a number of roles going, but it's great people that, are like-minded but great people with great talents that's how we see it uh, so, so yes i couldn't agree more um, we're we're only building because we've got Romy marketing and john on our digital side and pr and um obviously we've got peter and others at the brewery now so you know it's it's about that team um if you're gonna if you're gonna scale so adrian get back to um some, a couple another, another question what were your priorities at the point you decided to go commercial and what is your business priorities now? Oh, good question. What were our priorities when we first started? The priorities was um, probably twofold. One was product quality, you know, making sure whatever left the door was as good as we could make it at that time. Yeah. The challenge is we knew we wanted to make it better, but we couldn't at that time. And and the other was positioning and brand. Like I said at the beginning, we were razor sharp focused on Michelin style restaurants, premium dining. We didn't go for coffee shops and our strategy then was on trade. So it was just very clear that we are, um, you know, real sparkling fermented tea serves a sparkling wine. And it mean, it meant that, you know, we didn't stray, even if it meant um, there wasn't as much volume in that area. Yeah, well, that was the, that was our priority and it's worked for us uh, we feel like it's worked for us and uh you know we, we were able to grow in the on trades pre-pandemic and um bring on the wholesalers and make great relationships and have some great customers and then the pandemic hit and that was tough for all of us and moved more d to c and obviously we're lucky enough to bring on some some retailers we launched our champagne bottle which is our is our hero skew uh, cork and cage always served in a champagne glass. Um, but then it means our priorities now, strangely enough, aren't any different. Yeah. It still is 
the best liquid that comes out of the brewery and it is brands um the, the only thing now that because of where we're at and and adam you probably find this as well is you then have a trajectory that you're planning by either because you've taken investment and you've made commitments in terms of your scaling so the third one is then just is volume and revenue um, it was obviously it was still important back then you know the, in the early days you've got to make some money along the way um, <laughs> show where you're headed but uh, that's probably then the third third priority but but it's like I said it's not it's not for volume sake it's it's brand and product quality and then the, the volume will come yeah. um, so that that's broadly top line that's no, it, it's uh, it's interesting because a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't I don't think a lot of people would mention brand as being in the top priority. So I think it's great to hear that, you know, when you're starting a business or starting to go commercial, that's the importance of branding and marketing. With, with, um, with you guys, I think what you did an amazing job of was it was a, it was a gamble and it was a risk to go into the on trade with kombucha. That was bold. And um, when we first started, we sort of dipped our toes in the water there. We served it on draft and, and nobody, no, nobody bit, they weren't interested. So we're like, okay, we'll go for the whole foods. We'll go for that immediately, which was the easy win. Real success takes taking a leap of faith like that. And also having that, that purpose, like, you know, David's experience, John's experience, your background, there was a reason for you guys to do that. And you can see it paying off. I know you, you recently got a listing on Akato. You guys are in Waitrose in your cork and cage. And now that's being served as a real viable option for people who don't want to buy a bottle of wine. And so when you take that leap of faith, and I think this is what you guys have really achieved, you, you have grown your brand, you've grown your product to a point that then it's able to go mass market in a, in a sense, like you're able to reach that wider base, but that took years of like grafting and like real work and a lot of, um, a lot of risk taking, you know, to go into that, to change the way that people drink is a, is a big thing to do. And I think for a lot of people that, that might be tuning in, they're trying to figure out how to position their kombucha. You guys are sort of, were the pioneers from my perspective in selling kombucha in the on trade as a real oh. alternative to alcohol. And I think that's incredible. So congratulations well, on that, man. Th thank you for that very kind words. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's lovely to hear it and we're, we're proud of what we've achieved uh, but yeah it's been hard work and but we've also you know we, we look at what others are doing we, we saw what you guys are doing and when on draft um, one of the one of the first kombuchas I drank from Whole Foods was Jar. <laughs> so you know like the thing is we take influence but we've we've just put our heads down and we've just plowed along like you know and I think you know we've really reflected over the last year is that we have some great relationships across in channels but these sorts of things chatting to people understanding how people have succeeded or failures because the failures are as important as the successes um mm. and we've had look i've painted a, a, a nice bit and you paint a nice picture of success but you know we've we've had lots of things go wrong you know we've had lots of issues in production and uh building issues and customers not being happy and the risk is you can't get it wrong in the on-trade. Oh, you can't get it wrong in any channel, but particularly on-trade because it's relationship-focused. Mm. Get someone off, you, you know, you, you um, you've got to make it uh, better. But uh, but yeah. no, th th thanks for that. I mean, we're just we're, we're just doing what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I think awesome. it's, you meant you actually mentioned the word, and it's, um, it's a key word for ourselves. It's transparency, um, and it's part of why we're doing the Adam and I are doing these talks is because we want to, you know 
increased transparency of the industry, increased transparency of, of the drink, and hopefully as a result of doing so, we'll be building awareness. So for me, one of the biggest problems Booch faces is, um, is a lack of awareness in the public. Um, yeah. you know, having a selection of one type of kombucha when you go into a shop rather than multiple types like you would if it was a soda or a, or a beer. Um, yeah. so I think, you know, being transparent and, and also, I think, screaming from the rooftops the fact that our products are all natural, that, you know, they're not, there's no chemicals, there's no, I read, you'd know more about this because they all went over my head, but I read an article talking about what goes into wine and I was, I was stunned about the unnatural processes and things that go into wine. I mean, totally. I mean, it's written into law that they kind of there's loopholes and things like that, and you, you delve underneath, and yeah, there's all sorts uh, for clarification. You know, they use egg whites or fish guts or you know all sorts mm. of things. Um, that's why there's big vegan movement now in wine. But the, I think the, what's really interesting in that space is to look at what's happening in biodynamic, low intervention, pet nat style wines, where you and that's a lot of influence that we took um, in the early days. And yes, I think transparency is such a such a crucial part. I think we've just got to grow the category enough mm. so that operators make the choice uh, for consumers, so that there is a, a proper ranging. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and everyone produces kombucha differently. We produce it in our style. Uh, we use still use a yeast bacteria culture. There is a scoby involved. We happen to harness more the science of the yeast bacteria balance. That's how we do it. Mm-hmm. There's other you guys do it a certain way. Other people decide to do it in more of a engineering route where mm-hmm. they will go the other way. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's right or wrong is is <laughs> is for people to comment, and that's not for us to debate here. But I think there is that category category view of like the choice that you can have. But it's going to take time because beer now a, an operator will have an IPA, a stout, two different styles of lager on tap. But that, that's taken years, decades. So um, I, think these, I think these conversations are great to bring to life what, what people are doing and, and mm. seeing, and yeah, and getting people to understand what kombucha can be and when it can be consumed in the occasion. Yeah, and yeah. also the, the passion people, the people behind kombucha, the passion they have for kombucha. It's, it's obvious from the way you're talking, the way Adam's spoken, et cetera, myself. We're, we're passionate about what we do and we're passionate about the, the, the drink itself. Yeah, well, you know, we're, um, we, we do, used to do, before the pandemic, is we used to do tours. I know um, down at uh, JAR, you, you did, like, uh, tours and things. Um, yeah. I think I tried to sneak along to one before we met. And, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't make it. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're going to start those up again. We did some consumer ones. We did it for trades. We've got a, up at the brewery, we have a, a tasting room, which is in the old kind of cow shed. We're on a decommissioned farm. Um, so, you know, we do tastings there. And I think being able to do more of that brings to life what you do. And I think more we can do that because people after the pandemic want to get out, want to do something different. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think um, just just uh, the last thing for me is I think it's really awesome that we get to chat. And I think it's really important um, that the industry communicates with each other. And there's this community now where, where we can, we can you know, mutually respect what each other is doing and everyone's coming at it from a different perspective. And also just to acknowledge that we're, we're actually on the edge of something 
very different. We're expanding this category. And it's, um, I think you guys, Adrian, have done an amazing job at expanding the kombucha category in a direction that it had never gone in before. And we're, I would say we're at the edges of that. And I think that's really exciting. And to be able to share that and talk about that and get pumped about that is really cool. And Andrew, with you as well, expanding this understanding of June. And like, that's still a relatively new category to a lot of people. And I think that is going to be really exciting to see where that goes in the future. Yeah. Sure. I'd, I'd love to come down and see see what you're doing, Andrew. And Andrew, and I think it's amazing. I mean, we da- we dabbled in a little bit, but uh, yeah, you've got your work cut out. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it tastes amazing. You get it right. It tastes amazing. Well, if, you, if you came if you came visiting, it'd be very similar to when you started out in your in your garage. I'm sure. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. I, I I don't have the engineering ability to actually create my own bottling line, but I, so I bought a, a canning line, but it's still still fairly manual but you know it uh, allows me to do a little bit faster when it's because unfortunately it's just me so i need to get a uh, as many well, the same uh, for us our bottling line was literally it was just on turn off turn it was it was this it was like <laughs> 300 bottles an hour <laughs> like, you, you are the, you are the conveyor belt yeah 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 no brakes though like other people got brakes just for me for me and david yeah just i I, I finish I finish a day of, of canning and I'm just like broken. It's just like, that's it. I've got to <laughs> lie down. <laughs> Guys, it's been fantastic chatting. I really enjoyed this. It's been actually quite inspirational. So thank you so much, Adrian. It's a good workout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Adrian. This was awesome, man. Thanks so much for sharing the story. No worries. Thank you for the invite. We- and thanks for the kind words. Thank you, Adrian. And we look forward to catching up soon. I will definitely come visit very, very soon. Yeah, sounds great. I think we're having a beer as well soon, uh, Adrian. So I'll see you in uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward cool, to man. that. All right. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.